the Staff and Graph podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. Inlinks are salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. Well, Rachel, it's American Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. I didn't wear my turkey hat. No, you didn't. So we're going to have to re- restart this, I guess, start all over because you didn't wear your turkey hat. No, but all of our American Thanksgiving, uh, all of our American listeners, all of our American Thanksgiving listeners, uh, happy <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. And also, if you are listening on Thanksgiving, go spend time with your family, please. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing with us? But hey, you know, we'll, we'd like to bring you in and uh, and spend the holiday with you, I guess, sh- yes. shall we say. You know, we can be we can be at part of your table, you know, as uh, my, my favorite story every Thanksgiving, I'm sure you've seen this, is um, the uh, the woman who texted the wrong number. Oh my God, yeah, that's um, amazing. Yeah, and then like, this this I, we, I just saw a picture on my way here was it was eight eight years eight straight years going where she the woman texts the wrong number and it ends up being this young kid um, who doesn't have a family who like doesn't have anywhere to go on Thanksgiving and she's like well why don't you come on over she's like okay well I know it's a wrong number but like hey come on still come on over um, which is a very <laughs> kind thing to do yes like because Thanksgiving like, you're opening up your home. There's a lot that goes into Thanksgiving. There's a lot of food. Like, you know, there's a lot of stress. And energy. let's face it, young men eat a lot. They do. They do. They sure I do. I have a younger brother and mm-hmm. he eats he, everything under the sun. Just constantly. That's just all he does. Consistently eating, and he's also like 140 pounds. I don't know how. Um and and what what's crazy too is like uh yes, they're still going. And the like the husband actually like passed during COVID. Oh like, right. He passed through COVID. But they're still going on, still, you know, like holding. I think they did it over Zoom the year where no one could see each other. So it's just a lovely story. And I thought we'd open that up. Another great story, Rachel, is I would say sort of the rise of defensemen that we've had in the NHL. We've had quite the rise of young defensemen, specifically two. Well, one it was sort of already there. Because- yes, one had already established himself as like. I am, you know, he had a Norris and a Con Smythe and a cup and a Calder. Yeah. yeah, when you have a Con Smythe and a cup and a Calder and, and a, Norris. a Norris, you have established yourself as the guy because it is rare that a defenseman wins the Con Smythe. And he won three of those in the same year, by the way. <laughs> He's so like, good. Like, and we're talking about Kale McCarr. In case anyone didn't know, we were talking about Kale McCarr. Uh, Kale McCarr, um, you know, he had already established himself. Any defenseman who, ha- who already has an 86-point season as well, I think, you kind of have already established yourself. Is pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. But um, Quinn Hughes had always been a very, very good defenseman as well, I'd say. Like, he'd always been in the elite category. I would like you to say on the record, yeah. how long ago did I tell you that I thought Quinn Hughes was going to be special and not enough people were paying attention. Like as long as I've known you, I think. Like as long as Quinn Hughes has been in the NHL and I have known you. I feel, Yeah, and like yeah. we talked about that. It was pre-Vancouver where I was like, this oh, yeah. kid is so good. This was you and I recording in like my old condo when we were talking about that. Like right. during COVID. 
And then, and then while I was employed in Vancouver, I would like send you highlights and just the caption was just LOL. Yeah. It would be crazy. It's all you would tell. I remember. It was annoying. (laughs) No, I know. I remember we were, uh, like it was one of those moments where we finally like, cause there, there was, you know, a little bit of time where I barely, where you were across the country. I never saw you, but then, um, the, the like the Canucks were facing the Leafs, and so we finally got to like hang out in a morning right. skate. And I remember even during that conversation, you were mentioning about how good Quinn was. And this is the coming out party. This at least offensively for Quinn Hughes this year. Yeah, like I mean, defensively, there's still like he's making huge improvements, and it it helps that the Canucks finally got him a partner that isn't a friggin' boat yes. anchor. Oh yeah, like that always helps because Kale McCarr got, when Kale McCarr got Devin Taves and changed everything. It changed like it it elevated him, and you can see mm. that now having a consistent pair with Heronic and Hughes has really al- allowed Quinn to elevate his game, mm-hmm. and that's something where I think we really have been robbed of because with respect, and you know how much I like Luke. With yeah. respect to Luke Shen and Tyler Myers and Oliver Ekman Larson, uh, no, so. I think what we're seeing here is when you get an adequate partner for a star, yep. they co- become a superstar. But before we get into like comparing them, sure, I, sure. I want to have a conversation about the word elite. Absolutely. Let's do it. So I did a master's mm-hmm. um, and academically speaking, the word elite is to be used for the top five percentile. So if you play in the NHL compared to all other hockey players on the planet, yeah. you are elite. Yes, like absolutely. It's all about context, right? If you're, but compared to other NHLers, you are not. There, you have to be in the top five percentile to be considered elite. And by academic standards, yes, you can be elite for a certain period of time. But to be considered elite, mm-hmm. you ha- it has to be done over a certain sample size. Yeah. Kale McCarr has established himself as elite over a sample size, Mm -hmm. as has Eric Carlson. Mm -hmm. Adam Fox has not. Not yet. Not yet. Mm -hmm. Because he hasn't finished in the top five percentile for enough seasons to be considered elite. Mm -hmm. He is a top end defenseman. Yes. Quinn Hughes has not had a single elite season offensively and defensively. You can argue, and we're going to get into it, he's not having an elite uh, defensive season. But offensively, oh, hilariously elite. He's this year. leading the league in points. Like it's ridiculous. He's a defenseman. He's leading the league in points. It's also year. been twenty games. Yes, but it's important to know that. Like, look, that's that's a quarter of the season. That's a quarter, but that sample size is not big enough. Yes, and the word elite gets used far too often mm-hmm. in hockey. It's like generational. Everyone says yes. generational is a word that I, I I see and hear being used all the time. And the thing is, generation means once in a generation. Right. Austin Matthews, not a generational player. That belongs to McDavid. Yes. Well, in the same way that we don't know now he's 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 uh, slumping pretty hard. No, you he's earned that. But you Michael Farber had a piece and mm-hmm. I encourage everyone to go and find it. Basically. It's once every seven or eight years, which in hockey is considered a generation yes. because that is more. It's one point five times the average NHL career. Eight years. The average NHL career, I believe, is five years. Like it's about two hundred and fifty games. It also like it gives the next sort of like like age group kids. Yeah, like age group so of kids. If you look time at it, develop. Bedard is, I believe, eight years behind McDavid, mm-hmm. who was eight years behind Sid. 
Mm-hmm. And then you got into basically the only period of time where we had two generational talents, Gretzky and Lemieux. Yeah. That's the exception, right? Then you had before that, and then you had Bobby Orr, <laughs> like all the way back. And I don't care what anyone says. No one has touched Bobby Orr. He completely revolutionized the game. Yeah. And how it is played. Quinn Hughes, Eric Carlson, Kale McCarr. They don't exist. They straight up don't exist. And Because and, the sport of de- like of defense or like the position <laughs> the of defense literally changed. Like what like they, they wouldn't be able to they would all be forwards. So elite is a word and Jeremy on Twitter specifically, like he's like, Oh, you're using an academic standard. No, I'm using the definition of the word. It's just being it's overused, just like you pointed out with generational. It's mm. just overused. Austin Matthews might be like Alex Ovechkin is a generational scorer. Yeah, like he's Austin the greatest Matthews, goal scorer of all time. Austin Matthews is going to follow in those. He's the generational scorer of this yeah, generation. He's got a generational he's not shot. Not the generational player. No, that belongs to McDavid. Now Bedard might be both, but like he's on pace for fifty goals in his rookie year. As an eighteen-year-old, so when you, I want to be very clear when I say. These are very good hockey players, but we throw the word elite around like it's candy on Halloween. Mm -hmm. And I think that needs to stop because it diminishes the, like the word top end, very good top line, top pair. Like we can use that elite is a different level is sort of what I'm getting at here by academic standards. And I, I've had this conversation with quite a few, there's actually an assistant general manager I had this conversation with, and he agreed. It's like that word is overused in our sport. How often do you hear the word elite in basketball? I hear it a lot. Right? Not as much as hockey though. But when you say elite three-point shooter, who's the first player? That could, right. How many well, if people? I was, if I was Max Kellerman, it would be Andre Iguodala. <laughs> but like how many people are in Steph Curry's category of elite three-point shooting no no one no one literally zero he you know what it's funny you talk about the way that players have influenced like the game like with bobby Orr, like steph curry like like, he has created an entirely new genre of player of basketball right and he's not the player of the generation because that belongs to lebron james lebron who in my opinion is the greatest of all time agreed I'm glad we could. I, I'm I, glad we agree. We've never so had that conversation before. No, nope, we agree did. on that. Yeah. So now that we've had the, the discussion about mm. elite, we can get into the fact that these two defensemen are having, by definition, mm-hmm. elite seasons. Yes, that does not make them elite. So that's a that's a micro. Like we t- we talk about elite as like a macro. Like you have to have you know five seasons of in the top five percentile or three. Sorry, it's three seasons yeah. in the top five percentile. We're boiling that down. Into a we're talking about micro elite stuff, right? We're talking yeah. about this season, this context. Mm-hmm. They are having elite seasons. Both are in the top five percentile, not only for defensemen but in the league. Yes, for play this year. Which also, by the way, we really need to have a discussion at some point about the season that Sasha Barkov and Miko Rantanen are having because they need to be in the heart conversation. Like Sasha Barkov, L O L hilarious but let's talk we said we were gonna do we're gonna compare them offensively Mm -hmm. we're gonna talk about each of them offensively defensively we're gonna compare them then we're gonna talk about who else in the league deserves to be in that in in that that conversation conversation. based on overall play offensively speaking no one's touching them 
No, well, Quinn Hughes is leading the league in points. Like I know, like <laughs> so I know funny. that it's only twenty games, but like, come on. And you want to know what the funniest part about this entire thing is? What is it, Rachel? He, by every metric, like in terms of measurement, value to team, is not even the best player on his team right now. That's Elias Pettersson. Yeah, Elias Pettersson is second in player value this year. Who's first? Sasha Barkov. No McDavid. No. No Drysaddle. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so let's 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 talk offense. Let's first do offensively be, because like that's really why we're having this mm. conversation, and this is probably a. I mean, we talk about Bobby Orr. Can we have a Bobby Orr trophy, please, for best offensive defenseman in the league? We have the best defensive forward. Why do we not have the best offensive defenseman? We, we need defenseman? we need the Bobby Orr offensive defenseman award, and then we need uh, the Wayne Gretzky playmaker award. We need those most assists. Yes, we need those. It like because this is not hard. It, it it just it just makes sense. It literally is not hard. You're talking about arguably the two best players to put on skates, mm-hmm. and we and also we don't have trophies. You also want to like modernize the game a little bit, like no, like they updated it to Ted Lindsay, who was somewhat of a modern addition. He also created the Players, the Players Association, Association, so like yeah. changed the game. Yes, <laughs> but like it's also like the King Clancy Award. The, the Clarence Campbell. Um, first of all, Clarence Campbell was an executive. Mm-hmm. What like, what are we doing here? Like it's we Art gotta, Ross. Art Ross, the uh, the Lady Bing. <laughs> I mean, at least we changed the Lester B. Pearson Award. Like, why did we have something named after a prime minister? Yeah, that that was That's for an airport. Can you imagine if that <laughs> like like. Now we have the Grover, the, the Grover Cleveland Award presented to LeBron James. We have like William the, Lyon McKenzie King yeah, Award. Like, you know, or just like the, we have the Calvin Coolidge Award for yeah. uh, uh, for outstanding rebounding this season. <laughs> like, it makes no sense. Honestly, yeah. insane. Like, I understand, like, James Norris, NHL hockey player. Mm-hmm. Fine. But we have the Rocket. That makes sense. Yeah, you know, he revolutionized goal, goal first, scoring. First guy to score 500. Mm-hmm. We can leave that. And in a time when like that players were playing thing. with two by fours in their hands, <laughs> and they were literally like cup, like, they they would like clock out at the steel mill that night and then head to the rink and basically play with a tree branch and smack. <laughs> and like, I love like know. some of the arguments on my Twitter were like, oh well, if you dropped Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr into uh, the 1960s, they would be elite. Yeah, but that means they also have to not be allowed to train because they have to go to war. Yeah, they have to go to work. Mm-hmm. And they have to play with a two by four and they have to play with skates that are held together with That's elastic true. bands in the sixties. They would what be going to Vietnam, I guess. So yeah. Yeah. But like at the same time, so you though, know what, if you want to send them to Vietnam and then they can come back and, and we'll see how they do. Why, why has no screenwriter written like, this might be my million dollar idea here <laughs> oh, no. and, and God, do I need it? Um, like why is no screenwriter made a movie about like, uh, I don't know, like, you don't, you, you're not going to use a real athlete, but, like, you, you make up an athlete who's at the same, like, level of, like, LeBron James or something. Yeah. And they, like, through some crazy time travel snafu, they fall into, like, a wormhole and they get, they got, they and they drop into the 1960s. Okay, you need to shut up because I'm going to propose this idea yeah. to an actual movie producer that I yeah, know. Like, and, and, and I'm going to, yeah. You know, like, okay. and, and just this see what that's, like, can you imagine? That would be, that would be great. Like, you just, like, one day he's coming over the game and he finds a wormhole. He's like, whoa. Zip it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
Let's talk offense. Um, yeah. So give K- me some numbers. Kale McCart, 29 points in 18 games. So he's going to surpass the whole Al McInnes, Bobby Orr thing too. We're going to get Abs- two defensemen in a season. Absolutely. And a league leading 24 assists. Is that good? That's phenomenal. 24 assists in 18 games. He also in his last, in his last five, in his last five games, uh, he has 13 points. That includes three straight games where he had where he three straight performances of three assists. Do you know how much money he's made me in the last week? Like probably a crazy <laughs> amount. Also, I can f- buy a new pair of actually I can buy a purse hey. with the amount of money that he and Quinn Hughes have made me in the last week. Man, you got hashtag payroll. Like I said, we gotta we gotta pull a Shane Pinto and I you just <laughs> open up a open up a gambling account in my name and then get suspended 41 41 like games. Like averaging two and a half points a game is crazy. for a forward is, is nuts. nuts. Like when McDavid was doing that last year, we were like LOL, Dude, this like, guy's really is doing that right now and we're all ex- and we're all wondering how much money he's gonna get paid. Like yeah. and we have defensemen doing it. Yeah, it's crazy. Um Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, so 14 points at five on five. Okay, so half his points so are five on five. Literally half his points are five on five. Okay. Pretty good. Now here's now we talk about Quinn Hughes. Okay. Quinn Hughes, as like we said, a league leading 31 points in 20. That's games. good. He also has already tied his career high for goals with eight. Yeah, so he did a ton of work on his shot this year. And it shows. And, the, and yeah, like it. He's shooting the puck a ton more. Like he's, I oh, he's in the ninety fifth percentile. Yeah, like he's shooting the puck more than Yossi, which yeah. is wild because Yossi, I think, averaged like three point two shots a game last year. Now, once again, it helps that he has a defense partner that is capable of generally playing hockey. So Quinn does all this work on his shot, and it's showing. Oh yeah, accuracy, release point. Like I got really bored one day and was like, you know what, I'm gonna do a a full evaluation of the differences between Quinn's shot because <laughs> I still have all that video from when I was in Vancouver. Um, and I have video on my television and access on my computer. So I did like an evaluation. You're telling me your, t- your TV can play video. It, 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 yeah. What? Yes. <laughs> Where can wild. I get me one of those? So Quinn's release point mm-hmm. is different. I noticed. Okay. Like, I remember I was actually a part of when Austin Matthews remade his shot that mm-hmm. one summer. Quinn seems to have done something similar, obviously not to the same extent, but his the way he releases the puck has changed. Wow. Um, the way his uh, like the angle between his stick and his uh, plant foot is different. The where his hands are on his stick and relative to his body is different. And what I've noticed is it allows him to generate more deception and power in his shot, which is absolutely contributing to his goal scoring this mm-hmm. season. And so kudos to him because I think it's it goes under the radar when a player kind of has this bump. People are like, oh, like shooting percentage. And don't get me wrong. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not going to sustain a 13% shooting percentage. No defenseman is. But when you remake your shot, like you deserve a ton of credit. That is really difficult to do because you are altering the, the muscle memory and the mechanics. And for that to happen over a period of one off season mm-hmm. is absolutely incredible. Absolutely. So he is probably going to score 20 goals this year and it's going to be amazing. Which will I, more I than that. double his previous, like his, cause Quinn Hughes in all the years past, he would put up ludicrous uh, assist numbers and he'd finish with like four, five, six, seven, he had like 73 assists last year or something like that. He had, well, let me check. I want to say it was like, it, 
It might have been. It's it's sixty nine. I was gonna say it might have been nice. Um, it was yeah, like it, it it was incredible, and for him to take that step, you can see what like a healthy, yeah, really good defense partner can do. Um, what's his power play numbers? His power play numbers are pretty nuts. Um, which by the way, that power play ain't gonna sustain itself. We're already seeing it sort of start to come down. It's still gonna be one of the top power plays in the league just because of the movement and everything they've got going on. It is not going to sustain a fifty percent clip. Yeah. So his his, his PPO, his power play offense, is three point one. Or okay. sorry, two point one. My my bad. Two point one. That's 2.1. high. That's very high. That's really high. Whereas EVO, even strength offense, it's five point three. That's also high. So he's doing great. The thing is though, is that Kale McCarr, he seems to be he seems to have beaten him. Not beaten him. I don't want to. I don't wanna, like. I don't want to put these two beautiful queens against each other. You know, it's, it, like that meme. But he like Kale McCarr does seem to be able to do his his dirty work. Um, at five on five. Yeah. So the other <laughs> the other thing that gets so Quinn is rightfully getting all this attention because he's kind of exploded. Yeah. Well, he's having the jump. Like Kale McCarr had this jump. Yeah, exactly. And Quinn's having this and jump. We all fond that over does Kale when not he had the jump. make Quinn better than Kale. Quinn has mm-hmm. now jumped into the category with Kale. Yes. That is where we're at here. Not he's jumped past him. Not he's jumped past Bobby Orr either. Like what mm-hmm. are we doing here? But the, there's, so there's some commonalities between Quinn and Kale. Okay. Elite skaters. Yes. Absolutely elite. Two, I would say the two best defensemen in terms of skating ability in the league far and away. One uses it more than the other. Yes. And I was looking at NHL Edge. Okay. And yeah, because I thought, you know, why not? We have this great resource. Why don't and Kale McCarr is is consistently in the the ninety-fifth or above percentile in like in total miles traveled during a game. Goodness. Um, in, in speed bursts of 20 miles per hour or more per game. Wow. Um, and in uh, just like in average speed as well. He's all that. Whereas Quinn, in all those metrics, he's around like the 75th, 76th percentile in, in pretty much all of that. They're both phenomenal skaters, but Kale clearly has, is, has more of, he like, Quinn clearly uses positional, Nice and Quinn like, positionally is one of the best yes. defensemen in the league, and I don't think that gets recognized and, enough. But like that is concrete proof that like that's how he succeeds. He doesn't have to move as much. Like Kale is more of like the water bug, like all over the ice. He wants to be there, you know. Whereas Quinn, he tries to. I don't want to. I don't want to pin them against each other by saying one doesn't do this, but it does seem like Quinn like thinks the game a bit more than than. Like Quinn's more Kale's of a, more of like a let's a go learner, you know? Yeah. Kale yeah. Kale's like, let's go. Mm-hmm. And Quinn's the methodical, like here, here's a good comparison. Hit me. Kale is come on Barbie. Let's go party. Yes. Yes. And Quinn is Oppenheimer. <laughs> I'm going to methodically think how I'm going to beat you. And, and you then I'm what? going to beat you. To be fair, Quinn's like resting face does look, does look like the guilt of, of <laughs> creating a bomb that will change the world forever. The best thing about yeah. it is, like that's just Quinn regularly. I know. And he is Quinn's the same f- person. Yes. Quinn's resting face is the face of someone who fumbled Florence Pugh. Ah, yes. As as not spoilers for Oppenheimer, uh, that's what happened. So but, Kale McCarr shooting ten point nine percent. Quinn is shooting twelve point seven percent. Neither of those are sustainable. Yes, they're gonna both reset to probably around seven or eight, which is Quinn's, where they belong. Quinn's career is like five. It, that's what I mean. So he's going to take that jump. Yes. I think his career shooting percentage will likely end up around eight. Yes. 
Like well, Kales. now that he has like a shot. Exactly. So I think like obviously you can't be shooting amongst like some of the top end forwards. Like that's just not sustainable. Mm-hmm. So I think they'll both kind of see like a dip from that perspective. Primary assists, they're neck and neck, 14 to 13, I believe, at even or at all strengths. Yes, they are. Um, and so like I, I don't think that's gonna change. 14 for Kale, 13 for Quinn, just to be yeah. just to be clear. So and I mean Elias Pedersen is performing at an elite level this year. Mm-hmm. Kale's got Nathan McKinnon, so and Miko Rantanen, and Miko Rantanen, LOL. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, we got to give credit where it's due. JT Miller is having a fantastic right. offensive season. Offensive season. Let's make that <laughs> offensive. But JT is right behind Quinn with thirty points. Quinn is number one in the league. JT and is PD's, number two, and PD is, I believe, right under him. Uh, PD's got twenty nine because yes. he didn't get a point last night. Crazy stuff. Good stuff. LOL, Elias Pettersson's next contract is a conversation for a different let's, day. And we will be having that conversation. Oh, we will. Um, let's talk about defensively, though, because that's obviously where the where the chasm, I would say, uh, right. so, like, separates just, them. Exactly. So on ice, to because this is impact. Yes. On ice offensively, at 5-on-5, five five, Kale McCarr, 4.29 goals 4 per 60, and 3.12 expected goals 4 per 60. Mm-hmm. For a goals 4 percentage, generally speaking, of 56%. Quinn Hughes, on ice, 3.93 goals 4 per 60, so slightly below Kale. 2.64 expected goals per 60, also below Kale. This is where it's interesting, though, and where we're going to talk about defensively. His goals 4 percentage, or his expected goals 4 percentage, which means he is not controlling the play that is where the chasm is yes which is why any talk of quinn pulling away from kale in the norris trophy conversation when they are separated by two points and kale's better defensively is ridiculous here's here's what will happen let's say let's say they find a way to maybe not this level of production but they find a way to both of these players to sustain the level of performance, if you will, over the course of the season. Quinn will 100% win the Norris over Kale. Oh yeah. Because narrative. Exactly. And also his dad, let's, I mean, I'll look directly down the camera and say his dad, I don't know anything. (laughs) So I'm not going to Rachel does. So there you go. Um, Um, If you don't. Yeah. Like the thing is, is there's always the story, right? So Eric Carlson, one, he hit 100 points last year. Yeah, that doesn't that's mean was, undeniable. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. But when you have somebody that has jumped into that category, which is interesting because, like, most defensemen and defensive forwards, like, Selkie-wise, Nico Heischer and Elias Pettersson have faced this already. They don't win until they've kind of been in that category for a year or two when mm-hmm. they become, like, known commodities. But when you burst onto the scene like this, and you play in a Canadian market. Naturally, this is going to get looked at because no offense to everyone in the Pro Hockey Writers Association, with the exception of a fine few. I'm taking this very. I am. I'm also in it. Yeah. But none of you know how to evaluate defense. I absolutely none of you. I don't. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, which is why you text me. Yes. Right, and so Quinn has this explosion. Mm. It's a huge story, but he hasn't pulled away. Like. It just hasn't happened. Him and Kale have not even pulled away from best defenseman in the league because let's talk about defense. Well, here, to, real quick before we do that, here are two things that I think will go against Quinn Hughes on the narrative 
sort of side of things. Okay. Number one. Okay. So a lot of, like you said, the pro hockey writer association, a lot of us are in the Eastern time zone. We're in the Eastern time zone right now. So of course that, that, that'll be, that'll be the case. Um, Quinn kind of no showed against the Leafs on the. On oh, the he hockey. very no showed. Yes. I was trying to be polite, but yes, he very no showed uh, against the Leafs hockey night in Canada. You know, that's like the game after the Hall of Fame game. All the eyes are going to be on that. He no showed on that. And then last night, these two and the reason why we're doing this is they went up against each other and Kale did get the better of Quinn in the Kale versus Quinn matchup. So he's no showed on the biggest stage, at least. And he's also no-showed against the guy who he's being most compared to. If there are two things that'll go against him, it'll be those two things. Yeah. 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 No. You're absolutely right. I was I was I was doing some ruminating when ever some since ruminating. you mentioned that. I, I was, love that word. Yeah. I was ruminating when I was walking here and I was thinking, like, yeah, you know, Quinn's being good, but man, those two things are not gonna help him. Um and also like this whole thing about like Eastern time zone and mm-hmm. and everything. So this is my beef, and I've actually had okay. this conversation right. with Canucks fans, like a few of them. You do not get to complain mm-hmm. that when Montreal, Toronto are out on the West Coast that you have to play at 4 p.m. because it has to be at 7 out here. You don't get to complain that you have to play an earlier game and simultaneously complain that no one, that no one yeah. watches Quinn at 10.30 at night. You either want people to watch Quinn, which means you're playing earlier or shut up. Why? Like, why is there any complaint about a, a, especially a weekend game starting earlier? That would be awesome. Can you imagine you get the game ends at like seven, seven, there should be no game rest. starting at uh, 10 30 PM. Like, sorry, San Jose, the last game on the weekend should start at 9 PM Eastern. It just should. Like imagine, imagine you and I were living our lives in Toronto and you know, like I mean, I go to the games, but like, imagine if you're able to just watch. Like, I even think about for my job. Like, you watch a game, like you cover a game. Usually, that takes like by the time I leave, that that's the if the for a game that starts at seven, I leave at about eleven, eleven thirty. Right. Whereas I literally go to the game, say hi to whatever clients I have, and then, and then I piece the heck out. Yeah. But like for like for us for for and now like, I don't even have to sit in the press box anymore. Yeah, I get to sit in my seats. <laughs> but think about like how awesome it'd be if the game starts at four. Oh. you know, like then it ends it ends at seven. That means you're leaving at eight. You got the rest of your night because by like at and the end of Leafs games, I'm dragging myself home. I, by the time I get back to my apartment, it's like midnight. And think about it from a rest perspective for the players. If you're yeah. playing earlier, you're traveling earlier. Means you're in bed earlier. Means over the course of a season. Like academically, and this has been studied, you sleep better. You're getting going to perform better. You're getting more REM sleep. I track my REM. Yeah, I mean, good. That does. That's the least shocking thing I've ever heard <laughs> from you. But no, but I'm saying like you get more REM sleep because that's the that's the you know like that's the sleep that comes before midnight basically like the the sleep that the, the deep sleep. The but deep yeah, sleep. what I'm saying is, is like you any West Coast like any West Coast teams. California teams, mm-hmm. Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, like yeah. all that. If you want to complain about early starts, you don't get to complain that nobody watches your players. You cannot complain about both yeah. because it is completely unreasonable to expect that people in Europe, because there are pro <laughs> hockey writers in Europe, are staying up until four o'clock in the morning yeah, man. 
to watch your friggin' team. Not happening. I, you know, like, I know when I gotta get up to do my European work, I gotta be up at like four yeah, thirty. Yeah, you're up. I'm crazy. not staying up. No, of course until not. Until one o'clock in the morning because the NHL wants to schedule a game at ten thirty at night. You know what's crazy? The, the the whole the whole uh, global series has really given me a, like a, a good sort of appreciation for European NHL fans because they just do. You guys just don't sleep. You guys just never sleep. Also, when 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 the games are at eight a.m. and you texted me, you're like, "How do you wake up at this hour?" I'm because like, I work every Saturday morning at that hour. Well, hey, I look. I'm I am an I am an early riser. Like I I do typically get up at like five thirty in the morning. But you are not functioning. No, 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 I, work because, at that hour. Because yeah. when I get up, I just like put my body into run mode and then go. That's it. Whereas, Which is like, wild. I, I could never do that. I don't have to like cut cut deal cut checks and make <laughs> deals and you know it's crazy let's talk defensively though um this is where the chasm this is. is where the chasm is obviously so kale with a very positive turnover uh uh i would say ratio uh or differential if you yep, will turnover differential uh, 11 turnovers to 17 takeaways so he he that's wild which is for a guy who handles the puck as much as he does yes that's incredible that's quinn on the other hand 18 turnovers uh and 12 takeaways so that's a minus six yeah, so that's a chasm of 12. Yes, that... That's big, yeah. over 20. That's almost one a game. Or actually, it's point. It's even it's half a game. defense, like, like the metric is 0. 0.8, opposed to Quinn, which is at just zero. Yep. Um, and then... Uh, they both have similar quality of competition, by the way, so like... Yes. It's... Now, when it comes irrelevant. to their, their goals against per 60 and their goals, uh, yeah. And expected. And expected yeah. goals against per 60. They're, like, relatively in the same, like, they're close to each other. I mean, like, Quinn is 2.3, uh, sorry, Kale this is 2. This is 5 on 5. At 5 on 5, yes. 2.32 yeah. and 2.53, whereas Quinn is uh, uh, 2.86, so worse expected, but better uh, in the actual uh, goals against per 60. Do you know why is, that might be, Mike? And that might be because there's a massive chasm between save percentages between the two. Are you telling me that Thatcher Demko, who is very much in the Vesna conversation... Yes. Is performing better than Alexander Georgiev. <gasps> and listen, Gior- it's crazy. But Georgiev, listen, he was great last year. He's yes, but not not as much this year because <laughs> Thatcher Demko this year. Because Kale McCarr's on ice save percentage is nine oh five, which is average. Which is like average, fine, it's whatever. Sustainable. If the if the Edmonton Oilers had that, <gasps> it'd be a completely Jay Woodcroft would have a job. Would be, would be gainfully employed. It'd be <laughs> great. Um, now for Quinn bit of a different story rachel because his on ice save percentage is nine three three that is not remotely sustainable so you're, not even a little so bit. anytime every time that quinn hughes puts you know puts a, a pinky toe onto the ice thatcher demko is playing at like a vesna like one of the greatest one of the best sustained save percentages ever yeah like yeah. that's absurd and then on top of that that is actually like every time Quinn steps on the ice, Thatcher he Demko knows, goes God mode. He knows that Thatcher Demko is going to save ninety three percent of the shots directed his way. Three percent, like Thatcher Demko, man, wow! <laughs> like think about it this way: every time that Quinn Hughes steps on the ice, he can know that from wherever the shot is coming from, ninety three percent of the time, there's only a seven percent chance. That the opponent will score. That's so ridiculous. That's crazy. Man, Ian Clark's a wizard. That, that Ian is Clark's a absolutely wizard. crazy. 
Um, and then, uh, and then another big thing, and this is obviously, this is always the, and this is something that gets taken into account for the Norris. Absolutely. Well, it's taken into, if it's, it's, it's taken into account when it comes to forwards for the Selkie It's taken into account with, with the Norris too. And the heart and the heart is that, do you kill penalties? Kale McCarr does. He's got 56 total minutes of shorthanded ice time this year. Whereas Quinn Hughes, 20. So almost triple. Yes. Like and and to be fair to Quinn, that is not Quinn's decision. No, no, no. That's Adam Foots, and they have other defense. Like, there's a reason Tyler Myers exists. Like you have, you have Noah Ruinick Juleson, if you want to. You Mark have, Friedman, yeah. who now has a concussion. Uh, so who knows? Maybe Ronick conserving. You, know, I'm all for conserving the energy hmm. of your players there. So I don't actually mind that decision from Foot and Talkit. But when we're talking about defensively, like I go back to like Nick Lidstrom. Yes. Who, who did everything. Literally everything. Who would be like someone the... were like, oh, is Nick Lidstrom not elite? Are you dumb? Nick Lidstrom was Nick absolutely Lidstrom elite. Might not have been elite offensively, but all around the most elite defenseman of that generation. And he also is close. a defenseman that has over a thousand points. Which is hilarious. Which is insane. So yeah. Um Let's talk about them like versus the NHL, which is which will then sort of tie in so other other players we might need to add to this conversation. Yeah. So right now, even though people might not like to hear it, like Quinn's offensive value exceeds Kale's, not by the same degree that Kale's defensive value exceeds Quinn, and they play the position of defense, which is sort of important to being I don't know. A defenseman. Look how mad you're making Rachel. <laughs> like, like, it's like, honestly, those two are the front runners for the Norris, absolutely. narrative street, all of that. But it is not this runaway thing that people want to make it out to be just because Quinn has made the jump. That is not how this works. And the, I actually think that Talkett might be harming his Norris case by not playing him shorthanded. And now, granted, they're not there to win trophies. No. There's one games. trophy they're there to win. They're winning games, and to their credit, they are winning a lot of games this year. Exactly. So what he's doing is the correct approach. But that might mean it harms Quinn Hughes's Norris case. Now, if you put a gun to the Canucks fans' heads and said, Quinn Hughes wins the Norris or Vancouver makes the conference final, you pick, you can't have both. Every single one of them takes the conference final. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them. Absolutely. Right? You could tell if you put a gun to every single one of their heads and said, your team will make the cup final, but none of your players will be nominated for an award because of narratives or whatever. Mm-hmm. They would take the cup final Rachel, in like, a here, heartbeat. Here's, here's a great example. I know is that, all of that fan base. <laughs> here's a great example is that I was there when, when uh, Kale McCarr was both in the midst of the Stanley Cup final and he won the Norris. He won the Norris after game two. Right. So before... He, like, like in Tampa, didn't even care. He did not <laughs> yes. care. He was... I was as far away from him as I was from... As I am from you right now. And he had the Norris in his hands. And he was like, I'm going to go he, win the other one. he was like, I'm going to go win the Cup. And after he won the Cup, then he was able to celebrate. But obviously... There is only so one. in the span of a yeah. week, he won the Norris, the Conn Smythe, and the Cup. Is mm-hmm. that good? That seems pretty good, right? Pretty remarkable. Not going to lie. All right, let's do... There are two defensemen that belong in the Norris conversation because... And they, might, they don't have the point totals. Mm-hmm. But defensively, 
Uh, it's kind of shocked. I'm shocked that one of them is in the conversation defensively, given last season. But nonetheless, you look at comparisons of value, and I looked at Dom's model, I looked at my model, and I looked at Evolving Wild. So, like, three. I also took a gander at Micah's, but he doesn't do as much, like, yeah. of this. But it, I always look at it for a barometer because I think it's really important. All of them have Morgan Riley and Eric Carlson in the conversation. And when all of them have it, yeah. then I know it's not off. If it's, like, just one, then, okay, yeah, let's take that with a grain of salt. Every single one has those four players. So it's like you you can't ignore it. You simply cannot ignore it. So you look at it with D with 400 minutes. So we played roughly 20 games. Mm-hmm. 400 minutes means you're playing 20 minutes a game. You're not winning a Norris if you don't play arguably like 24 minutes, but yeah. I gave 20. Yes. 20 it's a minutes good, a game. It's a good barometer there. Yeah. Who leads defensemen in player value? That would be Morgan Riley. And why? Uh, because his even strength defense is better than both. By like a fair margin mm-hmm. too, right? So you look at it. He leads in games of, or goals above replacement, sorry. And in Dom's in, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if he's leading in Dom's, but he's up there in, in um, game score value added. Mm. Because his even strength defense has taken a major step this year and has far exceeded both Quinns and Kills. So in terms of being a defenseman, Morgan Riley yeah. is, and somehow Eric Carlson mm-hmm. is also in this discussion. Well, you have so, you have Morgan Riley number one, then you have Hughes, McCarr, and Carlson in descending order for value, for, not for, not even strength defense. Yes, for, but for overall goal, value like, for goals above replacement. Yeah, I believe, yeah. So Morgan Riley. Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, Eric Carlson. That is, first of all, as like, I've watched every single Leafs game. Mm-hmm. Yes, Morgan Riley has been dominant been every single night. Yes. But not to the eye-popping extent no. that Quinn and Kale have been. But that kind of goes to show that maybe as a defenseman, if you aren't being noticed defensively, it's probably a pretty good thing. Well, that that is the main thing with Morgan, where last season... Uh, especially during the during the regular season, he was noticeable defensively for all the wrong reasons. This year, not a peep of complaint against him. There's a reason why they're you know the 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 guys who get the most guff in Toronto when it comes to defensemen, they're the ones who make the most visible mistakes. It was the Justin Hall, you know, Jake Gardner, Gardner. even towards the end of his time, Brian McCabe, you know, oh, when he scored in his own net, his own net. Yeah, exactly. Like and this was a phenomenal hockey player, but and then the other thing we need to consider. So we just goals above replacement, which is evolving hockey, Mm -hmm. right? My model actually has it like a lot closer. So evolving hockey's has, uh, Riley Hughes, then like, a mini gap, then Makar, then um, Carlson a little bit further back. Mm-hmm. My model has uh, Riley Hughes, Makar within like 0.1 of each other. And then Carlson, I believe, is like 0.4 below them. So it's the, and then everyone else is just like not even close. Mm-hmm. Right. And I actually have Makar and Hughes flipped because of the defense, because my model values the defensive play and the shorthanded play. And so that is where probably Riley comes out on top. But if you look at it, the other thing we need to consider is that Philip Hironik is sixth 
in Evolving Wilds. So that pairing is far and away the best pairing in the league. Mm -hmm. And it also means that part of Quinn's success and part of Heronic's success are because of each other. Mm -hmm. And everyone wants to yell and scream about Devon Taves. He ranks 24th. So it's not even like... Which is still good. We're we're talking about second place and sixth place versus third place and 24th place and first place and not even on the goddamn list place. Mm -hmm. Right? So Morgan Riley relative to teammates is producing the best because he's playing with... I don't even know what the hell is going on there. But Hughes and Heronic have been the best pair in the league. And it needs to be said that part of Hughes' success and part of Heronic's success are because of each other and, and how they're able um, to play together. But even strength defense, Riley, then Carlson, then McCarr, then Hughes. If you would have told me that Eric Carlson would have had a better defensive impact than Morgan Riley and or than Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr, I would have raised an eyebrow. If you would have told me that Eric Carlson would have one of the top even strength defense impacts so far this year. I would have been like, what? But Dom, me, the twins at Evolving Hockey, Micah, we're all like, all of us are in agreement here. So Mm -hmm. it's like, we can't all be missing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then offensively, Hughes, then Carlson, then McCarr, and then Riley. Because Riley is not like, he's being a defenseman Mm -hmm. which like hey the leaf fans will take that right um so yeah it's kind of one of those it's really really close and the only reason mccarr and hughes have pulled away is because of the offensive side of things but if we're actually talking about bringing the most value carlson and riley need to be in that conversation and no one's talking about morgan riley so i absolutely don't want to hear about toronto bias and all this other nonsense, because if there actually was yeah. Toronto Bylace, there would be a ticker tape parade right now. Yeah. Down the trumpet street. horns. Yeah. Saying, well, Morgan Riley's value is actually exceeding that of Hughes and mm-hmm. McCarr. So I think there's, there's some, uh, there's some, some play to be had. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a lot more debate to be had. It's obviously going to come down to between McCarr and Hughes barring injury. And I really hope neither one of them get hurt. I want them, both playing all yes. like all, all the games, season long, please. Great. And let the best season. I mean, let's face it. The best season is probably not even going to win, but let's at least let them duke it out mm-hmm. and, and go from there because what we're seeing right now is similar to last year with Carlson and McDavid. These are historic seasons. Absolutely. Just off the hop. So let's appreciate greatness. I think. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody needs to yell and scream about mm-hmm. who's better. Who's this, who's that. Like that, leave that for the end of the season. But what we're absolutely not going to do is say that anyone is better than Bobby Orr. Yes. Because you're a dummy. You straight up are. Now, before we leave, Rachel, there was some breaking news during the podcast. There was. Uh, do in, I want to know this? It's, it, it's uh, well, I don't know. Is that Taylor Hall is out for the season? With a knee injury. Is that why my phone was buzzing? I, I don't know. Should I, should, should we? Yes, that's why my phone was buzzing. Taylor Hall is expected to miss the rest of the 2023-24 campaign with a knee injury, which is a massive bummer. Um, And I didn't want to interrupt our our spirited conversation with that. Man, that ruined my day. 
Well, that on that I note, did. everybody, uh, I'm glad I can always be such a bright, bright uh, presence in Rachel's life. I'm glad that I can do that. Um, no, but yeah, I, I think we should appreciate greatness and also send our send our thoughts out to Taylor Hall uh, because that sucks. You, got, you know, that sucks. So on that note, uh, we will be back on Monday. Um, Have a happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Eat lots of turkey. Uh, watch lots of football. Yep. And... Mike's Meals for One first episode drops this weekend yeah we're recording it right after this podcast so it's gonna be a lot of fun take care <laughs>